Today on the Basketball Manitoba podcast, we have Jerry Hemmings. Jerry is the winningest coach in Canadian basketball history, he led the Bobcats to 734 career wins, 21 national tournament appearances, which includes four national titles, 13 Final Four appearances, 21 Final Eight appearances, and 19 conference championships. He coached one year at Tulane University, as well as, well as one year assisting with the Canadian national team. As a player in North Carolina, he won a state high school title, played pro ball in Europe, and played two years with Lakehead University and one year with Brandon University Bobcats, where he was named first team GPAC All-Star. Jerry is a Manitoba Basketball Hall of Fame member, class of 2007, as well as a Sport Manitoba Hall of Fame, class of 2007. Jerry, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks, uh, Darcy. I really look forward to speaking with you. I got to correct you on a couple of things. Oh, okay, uh, let's hear it. Anyhow, what did I get wrong? <laughs> when when that when that was done, that was kind of the JerryHemmings.com that I did years ago. And at okay. that time, I was the winningest coach. Oh, has but someone surprised been, you? Yeah, yeah, but then Steve Konchowski passed me up. Oh, okay. and, uh, and I think Steve now has, I mean, Steve just retired this past year. I think it was his last year. And I think Steve ended up some probably, oh, I think maybe in the high 800s, maybe even okay. 900 wins there. But uh, uh, I found myself that I had to always take a sabbatical about every seven years. <laughs> Meanwhile, I started coaching in 74. Steve started coaching in 75. And he went straight through. Wow, no and, sabbaticals, uh, no breaks. Oh, wow. Yeah, no breaks whatsoever. So when you look at uh, 75 to 2020, let's say 2020, wow. that's 45 straight years. So, wow. Uh, man, yeah, that's you know, impressive. What, accomplishment, what a run that he had. And then that's the other impressive. thing is that I, I did work with Ken Shields. I worked with Ken Shields from 89 through the world championships in 1994. So I spent five years with Ken Shields. There you go. Five, five. And, well, and, and, and that was, you know, that was a great experience to, you know, to be able to coach, you know, throughout the world. Was, absolutely. Was a, a absolutely. Great, well, well, I'm here, off. I'm here in the basketball Manitoba office and you brought up the national team. And yeah. again, there's a whole bunch of people out here. Uh, one of them being Dan Becker and Dan in his, uh, you know, uh, Dan being Dan says, ask, ask Jerry uh, what he thinks about me <laughs> now. I'm not asking you. I, I don't want you to tell me what you think about Dan, yeah, but I had, to, yeah. I had to bring that up. <laughs> well, hey, I've seen Dan play some great games. So I'll just uh, share a couple of uh, Dan Becker stories. And, oh, let's uh, hear him. Let's hear him. And one, we had Dan in uh, 89 when I was with Ken in our first year. We had the World University Games in uh, that summer. We had the World University Games in Germany. Hmm. And I remember the first game, uh, I think I've – I want to say Dan would probably remember. Uh, I want to say we played uh, at that time. It would have been Yugoslavia, which okay. was you know really you know top basketball nation. Absolutely. And Dan really, uh, Dan really lit it up. And then I remember a couple of years after that because I was uh, we were playing down in Montana. We uh, I want to say this was '94. It's actually the the summer of the World Championships in Toronto, and. Uh, and Dan was playing with the team. I want to say he probably playing with Carl Fix's team from Regina, and they used to go to the money tournaments, and he'd have guys like Joey Vickery. Mm-hmm, However, mm-hmm. we had Joey with us at that time. And, and I think Dan lit it up for something like 56 to 58 points against someone. So oh, wow. all of a sudden I told Ken Shields, I said, hey, I think we should bring Dan back <laughs> and, uh, and l- let's give him a shot at this A-team. So yeah, yeah, Dan was uh, Dan was a guy that could get, get it going at times, and then we used to say, then at other times, Dan would disappear. You, yep. didn't, know, yep. you, know, you didn't know which Dan was going to show up, but when the real <laughs> like, Dan showed up, uh, he was a tremendous player. Like a heckle and Jide, uh, heckle and Hyde, yeah, what is it, Jekyll and Hyde situation? Yeah. Um. So, you know, it's so it's so interesting. So, I mean, when I was playing, um, I think I only played one year while you were coaching, but but. You know, the weird thing is I still want to call you coach. Um, um, I'm just I'm just going to go with that when I refer to you, if that's OK with you, just it makes, make, makes me feel comfortable. So unless you uh, tell me otherwise, I'm going to I'm going to refer to you as coach. Is that OK? Yeah. You know, and I kind of grew up in the States and I always told people that uh, when you look at sport to Americans, mm-hmm. they always refer to their 
coaches as coach. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and when I came to Canada and I, and I remember <laughs> being with the Canadian national team, it was hard for me to hear players call Ken Shields, Ken. Uh, yeah. And I made a point when I started working with Ken, I always referred to him as coach, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, and it's basically a respect element. Absolutely. And, and I know, uh, my brother said it one time growing up and, uh, and he always said that only one person he knows that was more respected than a coach. And that was a judge. <laughs> the judge is going to put you away for as long as he wanted to. You always True. made sure you respected judges, but then athletes really respected coaches yep. because we spend so much time with the athletes. Yep. Yep. You know, it's it's just unbelievable how much time in a season, and uh, and you know, and even as a high school player, you you know, all of a sudden, you know, it's coach. And and ever since growing up in North Carolina, it was always you know, every coach I played for uh, always referred to him as coach. Yep. Yep. Yeah, well, so I appreciate that. I appreciate uh, that. On that on that note, that's lacking in 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 today's society. I I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. So coach, I have to ask a question. So there, there's, as long as I've known you and as long as I've been around um, uh, with and, and, and seeing the success of, of Brandon University, there's always been this rumor and I want you to dispel the rumor. Or maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's absolutely true. And the rumors that's been going around is that, um, you know, way back when you were hired uh, as the Brandon uh, Bobcats head coach, somehow um, Phil Jackson was being considered or interviewed for the job. Now, is this true? Because this is something that's just been going. I've heard it from people. people someone said this. They told me this. They told me that. And, and even so much so, and I just want to say this for you answer, even so much so that people said, well, it must be true because not only is he from, I think, South Dakota, but he, um, his, his mother um, went to what is now Providence College in Manitoba. So people were, were like, it has to be true. There's all these connections. So Coach... Tell us, is, is it true? Is it no, a rumor? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm going to tell you how that came about. And it was, it was nothing to do with me. Okay. It was to do when Gary Howard, who coached Brandon from 1969 until 74. Okay. And a number of years ago, I'm going to go back and say 1996, I started our Basketball Hall of Fame. In, in basketball. Okay. And uh, and one of the first inductees we wanted to induct was Gary Howard, who was coaching the University of Calgary. And Gary was hired in 1969. Okay. And Doug Stees was the athletic director at that time that had Gary. And when and Doug made the talk about Gary, and then he mentioned that because Phil Jackson grew up in Williston, North Dakota. And you're right, there was some family. And I think uh, his mother, mother, dad was, I want to say a minister. Mm-hmm. And they were in Winnipeg for a period of time. But Jackson grew up in, in uh, Williston, North Dakota, then attended uh, university, university of North Dakota. He played for okay. that time of the North Dakota fight Sioux. And then yep. later went on and played in the NBA, you know, we, we all know that story. So Doug mentioned in the, in the thing that, that, that he almost had this guy that was playing at that time, uh, University of North Dakota. And I think Jackson may have been in there, but he brought out that the guy that I ended up pairing was Gary Howard over Phil Jackson. Oh, okay. So that was a, okay. Basically, that was that was a kind of story because I think 1969. Uh, uh, I'm sure Jackson was was at that time playing for the New York Knickerbockers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. but anyhow, it was everybody got a big chuckle out of it because got it, was, it. And that's where that rumor started. So then it just kind of spreads. People start oh, saying yeah, this. Yeah, I this, never I never like, knew that it. I never knew it spread it outside. Oh outside of the, coach. the people that were there that night. No, no, coach, trust but me. But I can see is... where that maybe came from, thinking yeah. back, because one of the guests that uh, that Gary Howard wanted in the audience that night was Vic Pruden. 
Yes. So Vic and Gary were good friends. I don't know. So maybe Vic, Vic maybe. remember that, and maybe I'm not sure, but uh, yeah. Uh, oh, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. Well, I had to ask is because yeah. now, now I have some clarity on that because now, anytime someone brings it up, I say, okay, this is the story, and I and I'll tell them it's yeah. just straight from uh, Coach Hemming's mouth. So there's no confusion here. You you were kind of thinking maybe that it was uh, that I was haired over Field Jackson. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah. I mean, that's that's the rumor. That's the rumor. That's that's what people are saying. And I think that's a te- just a testament to the success. But, you, know, you know, people always said, you know, that, like Hemings had so many Americans that playing in this. And actually, when I started in 1974, uh, there was the import rule then, and it, it was three. And I, I come back and say, well, you got to realize I did play my fifth and final year at Brandon uh-huh. in 1971-72 and I said I was one of 11 Americans that Gary Howard had on the team that 11? <laughs> well there were 11 there were like 11, 11 Americans I had myself from North Carolina Joe Parks from Virginia we had a kid from New York City one from Rochester New York one wow. from Syracuse we had a kid from uh, Tommy Ford who actually Still lives and resides in Calgary. We had a kid from Nebraska. There were three from Oregon. So I always make a point, hey, you know, there were a lot of Americans here way before I ever came. So. Wow. Wow. Well, so, Coach, I want to kind of um, take a step back. So, I mean, we were now we're, you know, we're kind of all over the place, which is great. But I wanted to I want to ask you about, um, you know, obviously you were a player before you were a coach, as I mentioned in the introduction. I, I want to kind of ask you what your first basketball memories, if I ask you, hey, tell me about some of your first basketball memories. What comes to mind? Well, you know, growing up in North Carolina, basketball, I tell people, you know, bigger than religion and religion's pretty big in North Carolina. <laughs> so I, uh, I had a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of fond basketball members, uh, you know, once in University of North Carolina in 1957, went, went in the national championship over uh, Kansas, who had Wilt Chamberlain at that mm-hmm. time, and they went undefeated. And then probably uh, one of my fond- fondest memories as a, as, a, as a boy is in our house, we had, we had uh, back then, the uh, wood floors were very common. And mm-hmm. my sisters, every Saturday morning, they had to wax the living room floors. And we had kind of a, I don't know, the hallway was maybe, or the length of it was maybe like something like, 20 feet mm-hmm. and I would take on each door one door went to a bedroom and the other door went to the outside porch and I would take a coat hanger and I would spread it <laughs> and yep. then I would open up and then I would close the door and make that like a hoop yep. and then I would take as a ball I would take a pair of socks and ball them <laughs> up and that was my basketball and I would go back and forth, slam dunking, using the back of the wall as the backboard. And yeah. that was one of my first experiences. And I always, uh, my brother always said, golly, when Jerry was doing that back in the, you know, mid to late 50s, too bad we didn't think of something like the mini hoop. I, yeah, I was just going to say. You know, it didn't exist <laughs> back then. You know? and so we, we kind of missed a marketing opportunity there. No kidding. No kidding. So, so basketball, I mean, like you, had, you mentioned, you grew up in North Carolina. Um, if you play sports, if you're a young kid, like, I mean, up here in Canada, I mean, it's not as much the case now, but you know, traditionally up here in Canada, people played hockey or at some level, whether it was just outside recreationally, was that kind of the, the norm down there? Like everyone at least tries basketball as a kid. Uh, yeah. And you're introduced to it, you know, really young. I, th- I think I remember playing basketball. We started playing maybe grade four, grade five. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I, I can remember I had a, I had a female teacher and she was a big woman. I'm talking about big now. And, uh, uh, and, uh, and she had some sons that were like six, eight and very good basketball players. But I can remember in grade five, her teaching us how to shoot the layup. And, uh, and she broke it down into the footwork. The first thing we did, we take one step. So that would be step and, and shooting the right hand layup. You've got to power off your left foot. Mm-hmm. Then we would go right, left, no dribble. Then we would go left, right, left. Then we'd go right, left, right, left. 
and and the biggest thing was was to really you know break it down to make sure our footwork was good because mm-hmm. if you look at a lot of missed layups it's usually because of improper footwork yeah and yeah. once we got our footwork down then she allowed us to dribble the ball mm-hmm. this was mm-hmm. this was a, this was a a, a great five uh, you know, and, and that was basically part of our, uh, you know, because we had one teacher for everything. But when we went to the gym and it was in wintertime and we worked on basketball and I remember mm-hmm. that really kind of stuck with me. And I actually, I brought it into my coaching in terms of working with kids during clinics, basketball camp and even my university players mm-hmm. just to make sure that we get that footwork down where you know, that we're going to power off that inside foot. Yeah. And then we would do the same thing on the left-hand layup. We would start, you know, it would be now just the opposite. It would be right foot only, left, right, right, left, mm-hmm. right, until we get the footwork down. And then, she, and then she would give us a basketball to let us dribble in. So, I, you know, that kind of really stuck with me and, and maybe really impacted me in terms of, you know, thinking about motor skills and how mm-hmm. you – uh and today we kind of refer to that as like uh, you got what we call in teaching backward chaining, forward chaining. So that would mm-hmm. be backward chaining. Mm-hmm. While meanwhile, somebody else may do forward chaining and they would start right at the beginning of that skill. Got it. Got but it. But she broke it down at the end and we kind of built that correct footwork. Mm-hmm. So I kind of remember that as, 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 as you know, as a, is basically probably a, a nine, 10 year old at that time. Wow. And that, and, and, and I think that says a lot about the difference between um, Canada and the United States, because I mean, I, I don't, well, yeah, I'm going to say it is like, there, there just isn't that strong um, understanding. Like you're not really going to find as many people who are, are, you know, teaching grade fives. Now, now maybe there might be a little bit, there's club basketball. So they might get a little bit more of that exposure, but if we go back to school, um, you know, I've, I spoke with uh, Ross Wedlick on the same podcast and he's like, I didn't really start playing basketball till I was in the 10th grade at all. And, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. and that's, you know, and, and, and again, that's such a shock. And I mean, again, you get it. United States is kind of, uh, I would say the king when it comes to basketball. So I'm not su- surprised, but it does show the difference between um, some of that early exposure to the game and how young you were um, yeah. to, to have that type of exposure. Yeah, and then the other thing was that that really impacted me, and, and, and I'm always grateful for this opportunity, that when I, when I became like 12, 13, 14 years old, uh, I, grew up in, I grew up in a town called Mount Airy, North Carolina. Now, some of the people may be listening to today, or uh, it's actually the hometown of Andy Griffith, who used to have the TV show Mayberry. Mm-hmm. Uh, later, it was Madlock, but... Uh, he grew up in, in my city, and we also had a granite quarry, and my family had moved, I'm going to say the late 1800s from West Virginia into North Carolina to gain employment at this granite quarry. Like my dad, my dad only had a grade three education. I'm the youngest of nine children, and uh, he only had a grade three, and he started working on the quarry at, at age 12 years old. Wow. You know, we think today, wow, you know, a lot of times nobody wants to go to work before they're 24, 25. <laughs> yes, I mean, right. here, as, a, as a kid, he had 12. But I lived on one side of the quarry. And on the other side of the quarry, we had a black community. Mm-hmm. And they lived up on a, on a hill. And then I remember as a kid, there was just past. It was just kind of dirt. Now, if you go back there, you never know it because trees have grown up there. And they used to refer to it as misery hill because people didn't have a lot of opportunities. Mm-hmm. But, on, and, but in the center of the quarry, they had tennis courts. And on each end of the tennis court, they had basketball hoops. And every Sunday after church, I would go there and we would play basketball up until six o'clock that night. Mm-hmm. And we used to, if it was three on three, four on four, and and winners stay up. So you had to win. Now, if you got 20, 20, 15, 20 guys around, you know, you really learned to compete. Yep. Because you, you don't want to you don't want to sit on the sidelines and drink milk and eat cookies. <laughs> you wanted to be playing. 
And uh, and I really, so a lot of times I'm the only white kid there. So I learned how to, these became, you know, I kind of tell people probably your first teammates probably in life are probably your brothers. And I, and I had myself and I had three sisters and I had four other brothers. So I, I learned a lot in sport, but watching them play and to play with them. And probably you'd be thinking of if you had a, your brother, I'm not sure how many children in your family, but those are usually your first teammates is, you know, family members. And then, uh, but then these guys became my next teammates, mm. you know, playing. And all of a sudden I love that because now, Hey, they were athletic. Mm-hmm. They jumped higher. Mm-hmm. They were quicker. They were faster. But now, and I always told players that I coach, you know, it's if you're if you're a player and you love to play, you're always seeking out the best competition because mm-hmm. that's what makes you better. Yeah, coaching is, is definitely a huge asset, but you know, a really bigger asset is you as an individual learning how to compete mm-hmm. and competing against other better players to make yourself better. And I always said that that was probably the greatest of me growing up where I was in the opportunity. And the fact is, you know, I'm talking in the sixties when there was a, you know, when there was a, hardly any integration mm-hmm. and, you know, and Hey, but boy, you know, once we hit the court, Hey, you know, I mean, we don't have a color. Yeah, you yeah. know, I mean, we're, we're, play all, we're all basketball players. Exactly. And uh, and I, I really, uh, I really credit that to me being able to to get better as a player, and especially to become a competitive player. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I was never really, you know, I was never really that big. But you know, when I played university, you know, I was like six four, maybe one seventy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, yeah. That's, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I, I love the, I love the sentiment. Um, again, you're all, you're all basketball. When you step on the court, it's just about, it's about the game, you know? And, and so you had mentioned that it kind of um, taught you how to work hard or show, showed you that you need to seek out competition. Um, you, Let me just share this with you. See, absolutely. I went on and played in 1966. I was on a state championship team mm-hmm. and in their area now, now, I again, uh, my hometown is about – I could leave my home and be on Wake Forest campus in 30 minutes. Okay. So I'm very close to Winston-Salem, North Carolina, which actually the name Winston-Salem is where the cigarettes, Winston Cigarettes, Salem yep. Cigarettes, because that's yep, yep. where R.J. Reynolds Tobacco is located. And uh, so uh, – but during that, and that's kind of in the northwestern part of North Carolina, right at the foot of the Blue Ridge Mountains. But that year in 1966, we had we had uh, 1A level basketball, 2A, 3A, and 4A. Now, J.J. Uh, Jones High School, which was an all-black school, won the state championship. Mm-hmm. Now, we were 2A because I went to a consolidated school where like five communities kind of all came into to one high school. Okay. We won the 2A state championship. Mount Airy, the city team, which was a little bigger in terms of enrollment, they won the 3A state championship. And I always got to add this in here. And then the 4A state championship was won by Raleigh, Broughton High School, Raleigh being the capital of North Carolina, mm-hmm. and who you think their great player was on that team was Pistol Pete Maravich. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. His dad was the coach, coach previously at Clemson University, and then he moved to North Carolina State University when when uh, Pistol Pete was in, was in high school. Mm-hmm. So when you look at it, the, the state black championship was won in our town. We won North Surrey High School, won the 2A. Mount Airy won the 3A championship. So I grew up in a tough area of, of, of basketball. And that, yeah. that kind of laid a foundation for me that anywhere I went to school after that, that, hey, 
I'd grown playing tough competition. That was yes. a confidence builder for me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I can remember coming to Canada and my mindset a lot of times, Hey, you haven't played no tougher basketball than I have. <laughs> yeah. And I yeah. used that as a, as a mental psychological edge. Mm-hmm. So, so coach, how, how did you end up coming to Canada? Well, uh, well, what happened was I, I was in a junior college. I'd played two years of uh, uh, JUCO basketball in North Carolina after I came out of high school. And, uh, and, uh, and then I ended up, uh, I had a, a really good year my second year. I, kinda, I was uh, second leading scorer in, uh, in the North Carolina uh, college system. I averaged a little over 29 points a game. And uh, and I was actually looking at going to a school down in Georgia, okay. and and you got to keep in mind back then in the late sixties, uh, your best your black your best black basketball players, you know, they uh, you know they didn't go to places like uh, Duke, Carolina. Mm. They went to a lot of what we called NAI schools. And, and I was looking at going down to shorter college because we had a couple players from Monterey had gone down there. And then uh, uh, George Berger, who was coaching at Lakehead University, was the athletic director of basketball coach. And George was originally from South Dakota. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was at Lakehead University, and he contacted my coach. And, uh, and what had happened, George was at the North Carolina uh, not North Carolina, sorry, at the National Junior College Championships at that time, I think it was down in Kansas. And one coach from North Carolina had, he was talking about players, had mentioned me. So he contacted my coach there. And, and that's kind of where it started. And, and uh, again, growing up in North Carolina, hey, uh, back in the 60s, when it came down to geography, you, you know, uh, most people in that area, you only knew, you knew, Quebec, Montreal, and Toronto. That was yeah, it. Yeah. You know, Winnipeg, Thunder Bay, or at that yeah. time it wasn't Thunder Bay. It was actually Fort Arthur, Fort William. There was two, oh, really? two cities in which now make up Thunder Bay. Yeah. So anyhow, and I kind of looked at it, and I remember as a kid, my mom and dad, my mom and dad now and then would used to go, or my dad would, when the, when the work was slow in North Carolina, they used to go up into New Hampshire and Vermont. Mm-hmm. And they would work in, in granite quarries up there. And then he would travel over to like Montreal or go into Quebec. So I remember as a, as a small child, them, them talking about those trips. So I kind of looked at it that, uh, and at that time, Lakehead didn't play out of the, uh, the Canadian league. They played out of the U S. Oh, really? In which was, uh, which was uh, district 13 that we played out of Minnesota in Wisconsin. I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was only two schools back at that time that were uh, NAIA, and that was uh, Simon Fraser University that remained NAIA for a mm-hmm. while, and then later mm-hmm. they played in the Canadian League, and now they're back in the NCAA yep. two division. So anyhow, and uh, so uh, so I ended up, uh, you know, deciding the. Because I looked at it, you know, and basketball or any type of sport can be a great vehicle for you to have opportunities that otherwise you don't have. Mm-hmm. And I kind of looked at it, and and it was, and, and they kind of had a new program there, and it, and golly, you know, it was a great experience. And I still look at at uh, Thunder Bay as as kind of as my Canadian home, although I've been in Brandon now something like like 40, 46, 45, 46 years now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I have to ask, you come up to Canada, play basketball. Um, you obviously live in a, in a somewhat warmer climate, grew up in a somewhat warmer climate. Was the first winter, had you experienced anything like that before? Was it a shock to you? Do you remember any of that? Oh, those yeah, experiences? I'll, tell you, I'll tell you one, <laughs> one thing that, uh, that I lived in a hotel at that time. And, uh, and I guess it being the fact that, you know, there were NAI, we, you know, uh, we had scholarships. We got our tuition and fees paid, and then, uh, and then uh, Coach Berger. Uh, I don't remember any of our players living in residence, but 
There was a house across from the university that they three or four players lived in. Uh, I lived at one hotel where I got, which was really great because I got the, you know, room and board and, uh, mm. you know, to be able to have a nice buffet on a Sunday with prime rib, you know, that's pretty, that's, uh, that's pretty nice. And we had another downtown hotel that another player lived in. But I remember in the wintertime, I would look out the window and you got beautiful blue skies. And I'm looking over Lake Superior. It's gorgeous. So the first thing in my mind is, it's really nice out today. So I would go out with a, and, and I was about maybe, oh, no more than probably three quarters of a mile from mm -hmm. campus. Mm -hmm. But back in the 60s, all you had to do is grab a couple of books, put them on your arm, stick your thumb out. Somebody's going to pick you up within five or 10 minutes. Because a lot of times there'd be other students and they knew you're, you know, they knew you were going, you know, you're off to the university. Yeah. And, and I'd get outside and within five minutes, oh, I'd be freezing. <laughs> I never realized when it's really clear that is going to be a very cold day. Exactly. You know, but it was a dry cold. While growing up in North Carolina, you had this kind of wet down mm -hmm. cold that kind of goes through you. So, mm -hmm. uh, but I remember a number of times, you know, I guess I was a slow learner because every time I looked at, well, it's going to be really nice today. <laughs> and then five minutes, I had to head back to the hotel and, and you know, get a heavier coat. Yeah, it's, it's something else. You know, what's weird is, you know, I, you know, I grew up, up in this in this climate and every winter I, i'm reminded you forget you know because it gets it gets warm it gets pretty warm and then all of a sudden it's winter and you're like is this how cold it is and you even people who grew up here have amnesia so i mean i don't people who come from other other climates i don't blame them for for taking a while to uh, acclimatize literally so yeah I, you know another big thing really that uh was really difficult was you know you grew up in the south you got you got summers you got summer sports you learn how to swim you do a lot more water things but now you come to canada you never uh you never cross country ski you never downhill <laughs> ski you never learn how to skate on yeah 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 so anyhow that was uh i'll have to share a story with you uh yeah. one time i uh this is the year i was in brandon and, and, and joe parks who played with me at lakehead also came here because we ended up in Brandon. I ended up as a player for one year because, as I said earlier, I played two years at JUCO ball. I played two years at Lakehead. In the U.S., you only have four years eligibility. Mm -hmm. So I had one year left. I was one course short of graduating at Lakehead. And, my, and uh, so, and Joe, he was maybe had a few more courses to basically to finish up his degree. So I mentioned George Berger earlier, who was from South Dakota. Well, he was assistant at the University of South Dakota back in the early 60s, and Gary Howard uh, was a player of theirs. And so George helped Gary get the, the job at, uh, at, at Brandon. He talked to Doug Stees and uh, – and, uh, and so, you know, Gary ended up getting the job over Phil Jackson. <laughs> I have to throw that in there. So, uh, so when I finished my fourth year there, I actually was looking to go and play. At that time, a very young coach was at Laurentian University and then became actually probably the most famous collegiate coach, probably that's coach in Canada, and that was Ken Shields. So, so we, I was going to go to school there. And then Joe and I went to a Laurentian at the very beginning. And I guess probably at that time, uh, there was some type of grade point average probably in their conference that Laurentian played in. So I was eligible to play, but Joe's grades were a little bit below what their requirement was. So he was ineligible. So we contacted George at Lakehead, and George said, hey, why don't you guys come up here 
And then uh, now Lakehead was going to basically have to, uh, Lakehead had applied to go into the Canadian. And uh, so we had a choice. We could either set out, but at that time, we, you know, we, we kind of wanted to play and it was, mm. so he contacted the, uh, 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 Gary Howard. So we ended up at Brandon. And now at that time, we both were eligible to play. Okay. And, you know, and at that time, you, you know, you, you know, you, 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 you're kind of with your buddy. If, if I yep. can play, yep. he can't play. Well, yep. but, but now if we can go here and both of us play. Yep. And, and Joe came here and played both basketball and football and ended up uh, uh, finishing his first degree here and then doing the education degree. And meanwhile, I came in as a, as a visiting student where I basically just transferred my courses back to Lakehead and then I got my degree at Lakehead. So, uh, so I ended up playing that 71, 72. And like I said, uh, you know, and, and, and I played on at Lakehead my first year, we went 23 and two, and we ended up losing out of Minnesota uh, to St. Thomas in Minneapolis to go to the national championship at that time was in Kansas city, Kansas city, Missouri at the Mm. NIE national championship. And then, uh, and then the next year we were like 21 and nine. And then I came to Brandon and Gary brought in a lot of uh, American guys, but he brought a lot of kids in that were basically out of high school. You know, he was going to start yeah. building with them. And it was a disappointing year. We went three and 13. Uh, myself personally, I had a good year. I was, uh, I was only, I was the unanimous player in the conference. And at that time it's going to be like it is this year. It's, Saskatchewan, Regina, Manitoba, mm-hmm. Winnipeg, and Brandon. So it was a good year personally, but it was a disappointing year that we just, uh, you know, didn't didn't end up uh, playing that well as a team and doing that well, especially after mm-hmm. I'd been at Lakehead a couple of years. Yeah. We probably one of the best teams in Canada. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so coach, I, uh, I mean, this, this, from from a selfish standpoint, I want us just to keep 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 rolling here because uh, I could listen to these stories forever. But we're a little bit pressed for time, so I'm going to ask you a, a, a specific question here. Um, so we're going to kind of jump 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 ahead here. So obviously you got hired at Brandon, but I, we don't really want to go. I don't really want to ask you that story. What I do want to ask you is, you know, we pull up, you know, your your coaching resume. Or we go look at, at the the Brandon, um, you know, uh, history books. We see uh, all Canadians and people, uh, players who have just won tons of awards because obviously uh, there's been some very talented players that you've had the, been fortunate enough to coach. So Brandon, Manitoba, probably one of the smaller, probably maybe the smallest or one of the smaller uh, uh, cities in the country that hosts a team. It's, it's, you know, Winnipeg isn't that big and it's outside of Winnipeg, somewhat in the middle of nowhere but you were able to get some, some unbelievable players to come and play for you. So, I mean, I guess what I want to ask you is what was your recruitment strategy? Why, I guess, why did players in your opinion want to come play for, for coach Jerry Hemmings and, and for the Brandon Bobcats? Well, you know, get realized in, in university recruiting is really the backbone of how successful you're going to be. Mm-hmm. Yes. We were a small city, we were a small school, but you also got to keep in mind that the rules regulate all universities. Sure, mm-hmm. Manitoba may have been at that time 20, 25,000 students. You know, Winnipeg at one time was not much bigger than Brandon, which now mm-hmm. is, is quite a, a bit larger. And, uh, and so you can only have 12 players on your team. You can only have five players on the court at a time, okay? But the, but the thing in recruiting, you know, you you gotta you gotta sell yourself. I mean, you gotta sell your your program, and and you gotta sell to your university. And you always look at you want to sell your advantages. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, sure, we didn't have some advantages that University of Manitoba had. If you had to look at say facilities. You know, although at, at that time, our facility was probably nicer than the University of Winnipeg because they had <laughs> old Rydell Hall. Yes, you yes. Know, again, but that was a character place to play, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. And 
and we may didn't have the scholarship programs that U of M had in terms of endowments, et cetera. And then, so the biggest thing I had to sell, you know, was smaller university, smaller city. And the fact is that you student professor ratio. And that's, that's critical to me in terms of, you know, academic development to be able to, to, uh, talk to a professor after class mm-hmm. or the professor says, Hey, Darcy, can you stay behind? I noticed this last test and I noticed a few things here and I think I can help you kind of understand that better. Mm-hmm. I mean, that personal attention that you're going to get is, and then you have to look at the people in the community that basketball, even when I came here, you know, it was, it was, it was big with, within the campus. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, although the Brandon Wheat Kings will always probably will remain number one, but, you know, but Bobcat basketball was, was a big attraction. Mm-hmm. And I can remember later after the Raptors come in, you know, you could tell a, a player that you're recruiting, say, from Toronto, that probably you at Brandon is going to almost be like a Raptor in Toronto. People are going to yes. know who you are. Yep, yep, yep. And, big time. And, and then, uh, you know, we struggled early in, 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 in the recruiting because when I came here in 1974, uh, I had no phone budget. Mm. I, I had basically nothing to recruit on except to write letters and send them out. We used to send questionnaires out. And the first questionnaire was this, would you be interested in, in attending Brandon University? It was a yes or no. Mm-hmm. So if I sent that to you and I didn't get anything back, well, that told me, no, you're not interested. So I would go after kids that basically wrote yes in. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't always the top, the top players. And then I kind of found out because maybe you didn't send that back. Doesn't mean you're not interested. You just never got around to doing it. Yeah, yeah, and that's a lot of athletes. Mm-hmm. So, so, so you had to kind of, you know, and then, and then once uh, I think we started turning the corner more in the late seventies when George Berger, who I played for at Lakehead, got hired as athletic director, and then and the first thing George told me, Jerry, you got to do a better job recruiting, <laughs> you know, because he was a recruiter himself. Mm-hmm. So then all of a sudden we started getting money put in a phone budget. So where we now could start, you know, start calling kids. And then I tell people, you know, in, in, in coaching, especially university coaching, if I'm recruiting you, you never accept no as an answer. Hey, Darcy, <laughs> let's, let's relook at this. Let's, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and also, too, we're in the middle of the country. So uh, historically, Brandon had, you know, recruited Americans. And I remember I got hired in 1974. And one of the people on the committee told me basically that, that I got it, that maybe I got hired over some others because one, I was an American and they thought I would have better contacts mm. of recruiting some American players mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because they had that little bit of history that, you know, they felt that they had to have American and, um, uh, so it was a situation where, uh, and then we started winning some games. And I can remember a professor in 1980, we lost a national championship game. And, and we had a tough conference at that year. Uh, you know, Winnipeg and Brandon was basically ranked 1-2 one, one, in the country. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, uh, and then we got on national TV. And I remember a prof, a geography prof saying, wow, you won't have to worry about recruiting now. Everybody will want to come here. Well, that's not always true, right? Because we are in the middle of the country. Yeah. And I tell people, yes, we, it's it's ten months winter time. It's two months bad skating. I mean, it's cold. And yeah. uh, and uh, so uh, so what I did, I parlayed our success into recruiting. Mm-hmm. I couldn't say, yeah, I'm just going to wait here and. 
Ken Opalco is going to show up or, mm -hmm. you know, uh, whoever it may be from Winnipeg. And, uh, and, 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 and one of the toughest things, uh, you know, I was able to attract players from Toronto area because mm -hmm. at that time, Toronto was basically being recruited by the Maritimes. Nobody really from Lakehead, Manitoba, Winnipeg West were recruiting a lot of players from that area. So I kind of developed kind of a kind of a pipeline, you know, of mm -hmm. kids from there. And then and and then I remember sometimes uh, which to me was a, a real compliment that I would go to Toronto recruiting and I'd always go to when they had the Metro All-Star game. Uh -huh. I always like, I wouldn't like recruiting today because they're doing it basically over the internet. Yeah. I like to go see players play because I may go see you play. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden I may see somebody else. I like. Exactly. Exactly. You know, yep. um, the more I could see play, the more, you know, the more choices I had as a coach. And uh, so, uh, so we, but, but I remember at times the players telling me, or oh, other coaches says, you know, Coach Hemmings, we see you here more than we see the University of Toronto, York University, or Ryerson coach. You're more visible here. Yeah. And, and, and then I, and, and I learned when I was, uh, uh, in the States and I worked with Tulane and I used to do some recruiting with some of the, the coaches would, you know, just even go in the new Orleans area. And one thing you, one thing you recruited and you, you always set, you always set by close as you can to the score clock. Why is that? Why? People always look to see what the score is, mm -hmm. but they also see Jerry Hemming sitting. Ah, you're, you're very present. Yes. You want to send a message, you know, and uh, and so we so we recruited some, you know, some players there, and you know, sure we may have been located in the prairies. We're a small city. We're a small university, but you would not believe how many Canadian players are recruited and American players that say their fondest memories was those years at BU the small city, the small university. The toughest part was getting them here. Yeah, yeah, you get them there, right. and then they see the, the value. Because I remember coming there as a player, and uh, you the, the support was unbelievable. Before, before, after the game, like, you know, the, the fans. Um, and then obviously, you know, growing up and starting to coach, I mean, that was one thing that uh, was always very evident is that the, the yeah. community really accepted the players um, as part of the community. And that's, and I would say that's probably unlike most places in Canada, there might be some smaller maritime uh, uh, universities that fit that bill, but most of Canada, that's not the case. You're just another person, you know? And, and you know what? And, and, and it was, it was really hard recruiting Winnipeg. Winnipeg at that time had a lot of good players. And, and, and uh, the big difference was if you come to Brandon, you got room and board. Mm. Okay, and when you look at it, it, it even to, to this day, a, a college education, you know, going away from home, probably two thirds of the expense is room and board. Yeah. Well, meanwhile, yeah. players can live at home in Winnipeg and go to Manitoba University of Winnipeg. Yes. Yes. And, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story. Uh, I was we won three national championships in '87, '88, and '89. We were recruiting Jeff Foreman. I think Jeff came out of high school in 1990 or, or maybe 89, 90 would have been his first year. And I was recruiting Jeff Foreman and Norm Frommel. We had them in for a couple of visits. You know, we showed them the atmosphere. You know, you, you always want to bring them in when you're playing the playoff championships, you got a pack mm -hmm. gym, et cetera. Because again, if you're a good player, you want to play where there are more people, there are more exactly. atmosphere. You know, it's uh, and uh, so Jeff Foreman's first choice was Brandon. However, I went back and did a home visit with him, and his, his stepdad at that time since passed on, I forget his name. And he says, You know, he said, Coach, here, here's Jeff's choice. 
he's been working this summer. He can take that money and use it towards room and board at Brandon, or he can take that money and buy a car. What do you think Jeff's going to do? <laughs> I mean, he's, he's 18, 19 years old. Yeah, exactly. He's going to stay at home. He's going to buy a car. And, yeah. uh, but, you know, and if somebody asked Jeff today, Jeff would go say, yeah, you know, my, my first choice was actually Brandon. But he went on and he made a good choice. He yeah. went on and played for Bill Wedley at Winnipeg and, you know, and had a storied career in the Hall of Fame. And, and uh, but I always made a point and I always tried to recruit the best players coming out of Winnipeg. Because I told my wife years ago, I said, I would never want a player to come back and say, Coach Hemmings, if you would have recruited me, yeah. I would have come to Brandon. Absolutely. So I always made it a point. But there were very, there were, uh, you know, yeah. I know I recruited one of the best players, uh, keep a name of Clyde Van Kaisel, played at Sisler back in the late 70s. And, and basically it was a situation he came to Brandon because he knew he had a chance to get more playing time. Mm. But after two years, what happened? He exposed himself. He transferred to University of Manitoba. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. because he wasn't recruited, but that's where he really wanted to yeah. play. Because they, yeah. they, you know, they were kingpins, you know, in the you know, in the 70s, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. University of Manitoba was the was the program. For sure, yeah. for sure. Well, so coach, so we, we talked a lot about players and I'm going to kind of put you at the risk of maybe offending some people out there, but if you could give me the top five of your most talented players you ever coached, what would that top five look like in, in no particular order? Just who, who comes to mind? Well, you know what, I have to kind of put it in some type of order, but uh, I, I guess one of the, you know, I've had so many really good players. That's a, that's mm-hmm. very difficult uh, to do. Well, but well, sorry, can, have, can I, can, how, Coach? Sorry to interrupt you, but can we can we do it this way? How about this? If we have to go by position, because I think that's that might even be the better way to do it. Because I think you could pick two guards, two forwards, and a, and a center. That might be, you know, if you had to make a team right now, it would probably be five of your most talented players. But if we did it by position, would that be would that make a difference? Yeah, I doubt it. I mean, it's difficult to do one way. Or the <laughs> it's it's going to be hard either way. <laughs> yeah, but I'd say the first player. You, you know, uh, I've always said another player. So I said, how can you say uh, you got to have John Carson? Okay. I mean, here's a guy that's, which is, is 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 you know in our Manitoba Basketball Hall of Fame. He's in the Manitoba Sports Hall of Fame. He's the only player being male, they ever be a five-time first-team All-Canadian. Yeah, that's I mean, unbelievable. Think about that. That's unbelievable. I mean, we played a lot of, you know, your All-Canadians are picked by your coaches across the country. So, you know, we played in tournaments in Toronto, different places, mm-hmm. maybe Calgary. So we got a lot of exposure. But, you know, he was he was a great player, five-time first-team mm-hmm. All-Canadian. So you got to throw him up there. Okay. Uh, you know, we had uh, – Keith Fassel, who mm-hmm. was a great player during the 90s. Absolutely. Uh, got to throw him up there, in there. Uh, uh, I tell people probably the best player I've ever had from the neck up would be Winnipegger, Joey Vickery. Okay. Yep, yep. And look, like, look what Joey went and did after, you know, he, oh, yeah. uh, he left university, went on and had something like a, maybe a 15-year career as a professional yep. player in Europe. You know, mm-hmm. so, and, uh, and, uh, we had Whitney Dabney back in the late eighties or from, uh, New Orleans, Louisiana was a really good post player was, you know, six, eight, you know, really good. Uh, we had Jude Kelly out of Hamilton, Ontario, who was the son of Ellison Kelly, who was in the hall of fame in the CFL football played for Toronto and Hamilton and a great shooter, probably you know, one of the best shooters that, that I ever coached in terms of kind of a mid-range. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, you know, we had a kid, uh, uh, Fred Lee, that only 
was with us one year. We thought he was going to have him two years, but he had ran a year of track and field in the States, and they counted that as a year's eligibility against. So, but uh, we had him in 79, 80, and, you know, he was a great player, and he was a great leader, and I always told people uh, about Fred that Fred had an ego, but you would never know it. And I remember one time talking to Fred about that, and, you know, and, and, you know, he kind of told me, you know, it's, it's important to have an ego, but it's more important to have control of your ego. Mm. He would always well give said. credit first to Big Abernathy, who I got to throw on that list. He threw a question at me that I wasn't ready for. <laughs> no, I'm sure, like I said, I'm sure you could just keep going. I mean, I think we yeah, have I mean, he was the, eight on the list. He was the foundation of, of Brandon University basketball. But Fred would always say, hey, boy, did Big Ab do a great job tonight of protecting the paint, blocking mm-hmm. shots, and rebounding the basketball? But he never put any of it on him, mm-hmm. you know. So he was a, a great team player. So, you know, that's a few players there. And then, uh, you know, I could go on and on. Yeah, and on no, about, I, like I said, like uh, that's why when I asked the question, I said at the risk of offending some people out there, you've just coached so many great people. And I want to ask you a question in a similar vein, um, but – Rather than the most talented player you coached, is there one player that stands out or a few that stand out as just the most memorable for whatever that reason may be? It might be the way that they, they, were, they made the team, the way they treated teammates. Um, maybe they just had a unique story that, you, that always stands out to you. Well, I think you always look at situations of, uh, of uh, you know, players bring different things. I, got, I can remember, uh, you know, here's a kid that I failed to mention here because I wasn't ready for this, would be a guy like Patrick Jefferson. You know, Patrick Jefferson played five years for us, you know, in 88, 89, he was National Player of the Year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I, and I basically forgot to speak about it. And now his son has just signed a huge soccer contract over in, uh, in uh, with Sheffield in England. Oh, wow. And, and yeah, I don't know if you knew that this past year as a 17 year old, he was a, a youngest player to ever score a goal as a wow. starter as a 17 year old. Wow. And Sheffield, Pat and his family actually moved to England a couple of years ago because these kids were aspiring uh, soccer players and they, uh, they moved to England to, to you know, give these kids a mm. chance to, 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 to really do well. So, but I can remember, uh, you know, when you mentioned things, I remember like our uh, 87, 88, 89 national championship teams that, that you know, we had uh, a guy like Patrick Jefferson every day uh, led for us. I mean, he was, you know, in practice, he was every day you knew he was going to give 100%. You mm-hmm. know, he worked himself and made himself into a very good player. Then we had on that team Whitney Dabney and – and Whit was a type the tougher the game, the better he played. <laughs> and I can remember one time uh, being in a play in Victoria, in Victoria, and all of a sudden uh, I call a timeout, and and uh, and Whit says, "Guys, we won last weekend when we were down. We were down one point, and we won that game. We can do it again." As the coach, now I don't have to say anymore. Yeah. We set a play up, we go out and win the game. Mm-hmm. And then we had we had like we had three co-captains that year, and that was Whitney Dabney, Patrick Jefferson, and we had David Dominique, mm-hmm. an American kid from Louisiana. And he was a guy that kept everybody straight. If somebody was getting out of line a little bit or whatever, he knew how to bring them back in. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and so you, you know, I think every player you look at, uh, I've always been fortunate to have a really good memory for a lot of this. And, mm-hmm. you know, that may be a, from a great play like a Demetrius Ford in 1996, we win the national championship and we have a little bit of lead on Alberta. They start coming back and Demetrius was six, two real tough defender, big leaper. We miss a shot. He goes down the middle lane, catches it, hammers it back to hand. How can you ever forget that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a Johnny Carson who played five years, five-time first-team All-Canadian, and he makes a steal on the last play of the game against UBC and goes in and slam dunks it. Mm-hmm. I mean, can you? I mean, you, you know, you yeah. can't, you can't, uh, you can't write the script any better than that. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. five years, 
five time for, but he gets a steal and a slam dunk. That's uh, yeah. for, the, for his last basket of his career. You can't you, you can't make you can't make that up. <laughs> uh, and, then, and then you get kids that do community things, you know, start, you know, initiatives of doing things or or some kids are great at going to assembly in schools and helping mm-hmm. promote the upcoming game or working with young kids, you know. So mm-hmm. So, well, coach, like, and this, um, this next question might be uh, kind of hard to, again, it's just you have such a wealth in, of experience, but you, obviously you've won, you know, four national titles and you've used to had such a successful career. But is there one um, memory that stands out to you as, as it's being your most memorable basketball moment? Was it winning the first championship? Was it like, well, if you had to kind of think back and say, okay, if I had to choose, you know, one moment, is there one that stands out to you? Well, you know, people ask me that all the time. And sometimes, unfortunately, I think as coaches, uh, we don't always learn how to celebrate the victories. Yeah. And sometimes it's, God, we never get past those losses that yeah. we have. You know, and, and, and I remember one from, uh, I tell people, St. Francis Xavier, four and a half minutes to go when we we're up 60-51 and lose 61-60. Yeah. yeah. You know, and you look at this. this or that or whatever. <laughs> but you know, one of the one of the I look at it is uh uh you know you look at it it's like I can't get put one thing. I look at different eras of time, nineteen eighty, you know, winning our first G Pack championship against Bruce Ends and the University of Winnipeg. And like I said, uh, that basically that whole year we were number one, number two in, in the country. And, uh, and then look at winning that first national championship that we had an honorary manager with us that year. And the guys loved him. He was 80 some years old and he died during the season there. But they would always, during the eighties, they would hold him up and we'd always let him cut, cut the last part of the net. Mm-hmm. And the players dedicated that year for him. And, you know, just that meeting of, God, yeah. you know, he's not here physically with us, but we know he's looking down on us. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, so it's uh, – and then you get those individual plays and, uh, yeah. Uh, it was just, I understand. it. It's a difficult yeah. question for sure. I mean, the, the yeah. interesting – I think I like the way you, you took it, though. You said – and that's so true. I think this is so true about life too, where we often don't celebrate the wins or we don't remember them as much, but those losses, those tough moments. Oh, and so yeah. you brought up that one. And I think that, you know, it's not always memorable. does not always mean it, it was a, it was a win or a positive oh, moment. Yeah. It can be I something that. that sticks, sticks with you. And so um, I'm very familiar with the game that you brought up. Oh yeah. I mean, uh, you, know, coached, you, know. and you played and it's, uh, and, you know, and, it, and then sometimes, uh, God, you know, it's a real to be able to, yeah, I don't know. I think our psyche is that, you know, it's all about, uh, you know, what could we have done better? Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't think you could be a really good coach unless you really critique yourself. Absolutely. And I mean, come on, after a game, uh, I've never looked at it. And I've heard coaches a lot of times say, well, my players didn't do this. They didn't do that. They didn't, do, you know, but, but are we as coaches, we're responsible too. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. hey, could I use my timeouts better? Mm-hmm. Could I've substituted better? Mm-hmm. Uh, could I maybe any little adjustment that you know I can you know I'm a big part of that because I kind kind of control the team, right? What if we play defensively and defensively basketball is always easier, right, than offensively? Yeah. You know, who do you go to offensively? Uh, what play do we run or what's our best offense overall you know all of these things so it's uh, uh, yeah I kind of I've always had the the tough thing to deal with is just looking at those uh, and I'm sure uh, hey I'm sure a lot of coaches and and I know Ken Shields kind of helped one I don't know if that was that close game the next year we lost to X again in overtime but it was always hey hey you know you got to learn not to beat yourself up, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes we do, as coaches, we, you know, we we probably uh, accept, you know, a loss or whatever. A lot, it's a lot tougher to take than that win because, you know, we. I mean, winning or being successful is what we 
what we set out to do, right? Mm-hmm. So we look at mm-hmm. that as, as something normal, <laughs> but, mm-hmm. not, but yeah, but tough to yep. deal with those yep. losses. Well said. Well said. Coach, I think uh, I think that's where we're going to wrap it up. Um, yeah. You left us with some good advice. You left the coaches with some 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 uh, the coaches out there listening with some advice. Um, I appreciate this conversation. I appreciate you taking the time to share with us. And I and I really uh, know that everyone listening right now is definitely going to enjoy uh, hearing about your journey and uh, as much as I did. So uh, thank you very much. Yeah, and I really appreciate you having me on your show and I uh, wish you all the best. And uh, okay, always have good memories of you. Absolutely. Thank thank you so much. Take care. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Please like, subscribe, follow, and share this series, and reach out to us with your comments on the show. Thanks again for joining us.